And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Monday, May 10th, 2021. And my guest today is Dr. Kimberly Derry. She is uh, a doctor at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. And in addition to that, she is the Vice President of Medical Affairs and the Chief Medical Officer. How are you, Dr. Derry? I am fine. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. So before we get into some questions that might be right up your alley, could I just ask you to give a quick update on the uh, patient census at the hospital as it relates to COVID? Absolutely. Uh, So currently we have um, at Elmhurst uh, 25 patients and uh, who are COVID positive and five of them are on vents. We are uh, don't have any awaiting results for anyone waiting uh, for results and we currently to date have uh, 181 uh, deaths. DePage County we've had 90,000 plus uh, positive cases with uh, 1,361 uh, deaths. In our state, we've had 1.36 uh, million uh, positive COVID patients and uh, 24,577 deaths. Discharges, we've had 1,771 discharges and a recovery rate of 97%. Great. And um so the 25 inpatients, that's down 10 from last week. That's great. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it's going in the right direction, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we're still getting a lot of people vaccinated, and, uh, and we've had two people off vents, too, from last week. So uh, we're looking uh, forward to seeing things go in a, in a positive direction as we head into summer. Great. So I get a lot of questions about um, expectant mothers and newborn babies, and this should be right up your alley. So can you start by kind of giving us the latest um, guidance, the latest best um, best practices as it relates to vaccinations of expectant mothers? Sure. Well, uh, you know, I will quote from the uh, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the um, uh, the uh, Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, which are two governing bodies when it comes to generalized uh, recommendations. Uh, They've made some, uh, uh, they have endorsed the same statements when it comes to pregnant women. Um, They they absolutely recommend that pregnant women get uh, vaccinated uh, for the COVID virus. Um, And it can be given at any time during the pregnancy. Uh, The CDC recommends uh, this and also, like I say, those two uh, societies, the American College of Obstetrics and the uh, Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. All three vaccines are approved to be safe. Uh, However, uh, Johnson & Johnson did um, release a statement that uh, women younger than 50 uh, should be aware there is a very rare risk of blood clots and low platelets after the vaccination. Um, the adverse event is rare, but, you know, they uh, say it's about seven per one million. So it's a very rare condition seen in younger women between the ages of 18 and 49. What risks might a COVID-positive expectant mother pose to the newborn child, if any? Absolutely. So 
one of the main things we do know about COVID is that it can cause a respiratory, uh, it, it's a re it can be a respiratory disease. Uh, and with respiratory diseases, you end up having uh, low oxygen levels. Uh, and with a pregnant woman who needs to have the proper oxygen levels so that it can um, uh, be uh, transported to the baby, when her oxygen levels are low, so are the babies. So that uh, can lead to a lot of uh, problems with the baby, uh, not getting enough oxygen. And then secondly, the other very important thing is uh, uh, prematurity. Uh, and so we, we want to make sure that uh, women that are COVID don't get COVID because uh, those cases can lead to um, some prematurity sometimes because the mom is very sick uh, and the baby starts to not be happy while mom is very sick. When you have an unexpected mother that's ready to deliver that happens to be COVID positive, what precautions might you need to take that you wouldn't take with another patient? Yeah. So, um, well, we do know that all COVID positive patients are isolated. They 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 get the isolation precautions. Uh, the 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 staff have to uh, don their their um, PPE um, to keep themselves safe and also to keep the patient safe. Um, what we have uh, at, at our hospital, we do have a shared decision model where the, the family, uh, the patient uh, makes a decision with her provider regarding um, what they want to do with the baby after the baby's born. But basically, uh, there's no increased risk of, for instance, like a C-section or anything like that. We've had plenty of positive, COVID-positive patients deliver vaginally uh, without incident, uh, but they are in an isolation um, in room where they, where they do, uh, everyone is protected with PPE. And are the, are the babies kept from the mother after birth, kept separated if the mother's positive? Well, so we have what we call a shared decision model, and what that means is that we actually have a discussion, the, the patient has a discussion with her doctor. Um, um, it is actually um, more common for mothers to decide to have the baby with them, um, and because it does encourage uh, breastfeeding and a lot of bonding that uh, that's really important, the only time the baby, uh, for the most part, uh, is separated from the mom occurs when um, the baby's not doing well for some reason and the baby needs to be in the in the uh, special care nursery. So uh, uh, it needs a higher level of care. So, but for the most part, um, you know, mom and baby uh, are together and uh, they, they think that there might be some potential antibodies, uh, uh, but that that's still being studied right now. But the bottom line is just for bonding and breastfeeding, uh, we do uh, allow mom and baby to be together. Are you aware of any cases where a baby might be born COVID positive, or does that just not happen from what research tells you? Well, um, we have not here at Elmhurst, we have not uh, currently seen any COVID positive babies at birth. Uh, many babies have been tested by with COVID positive moms and none have been positive. However, the earliest we've seen is a baby who was three months, excuse me, three weeks old uh, that was COVID positive. So obviously that baby was home and might've gotten exposed um, from home. Is, is much known about, you know, the effects of COVID on a newborn and maybe some of the longer term effects? Obviously, you know, there's, there's not two-year-olds that had COVID at, you know, shortly after birth, but is much known yet about what the effects might be? Yeah, you know, that's still being investigated right now. We, we, we currently don't see 
many serious side effects, uh, but there's still a lot to be learned as we follow these children that um, are born to COVID-positive moms. So lot, lots of uh, research to, to look into that. How about any natural resistances that either a expectant mother or a newborn child might have to COVID? Does there appear to be any resistance to it, or are they just as likely to get it as anyone else? Uh, currently, right now, they don't see any difference, so that that hasn't been seen of a natural resistance. It would be great, but they don't. We don't see that yet. No. So there's there's news that the Pfizer vaccine um, may be approved on a more permanent basis and not just on an emergency basis. Is is that an important event? And and what might that mean about the Pfizer vaccine versus the others? Is it safer, for instance? Well, you know, it, it, it will be very significant when that happens um, because uh, it'll guide healthcare workers and hospitals. Uh, there is some talk about uh, possibly mandating a COVID vaccine as a condition of employment. Uh, we see that very common in, in uh, a common standard in other industries, very similar to um, the mandatory flu shots. Um, but by uh, it being uh, authorized outside of the emergency authorization does not suggest that it's safer than the other vaccines. Most commonly, it's just because it's the most studied and has more data uh, to, to get that authorization. Can you give us a quick update on what percentage of the hospital staff are vaccinated? Currently, uh, we're still at 72%, which is the same from last week. And And do you think that you know, most of the medical professionals in particular, because I know that staff number includes medical professionals and support personnel, but do you think that most medical professionals uh, that have not received the vaccination will eventually get one, or do you think there'll be a, a bunch that are going to be resistant long-term? Yeah, so I I, I do think that uh, they, they will eventually get one. And I also think that there potentially may be, uh, some people are still kind of holding out for Johnson Johnson. So I think that that might be a game changer. And, and maybe the fact that the, the, um, some of these drugs won't be just under emergency authorization, maybe that'll... That absolutely is true. Absolutely. Some people want things to, the, the, the medications, the, the vaccines to be fully uh, authorized and approved as opposed to being under the uh, U. EUA. So absolutely. Can you give us a quick update on the number of vaccinations that the hospital has given? Absolutely. So currently we have um, a total number of individuals receiving their first dose vaccine has been 52,833. Um, the number fully vaccinated are 43,840. And the total number of, of EE Health employees vaccinated is 6,293. And what's the supply like right now? Is it still pretty much outpacing the demand like it has been the last few weeks? Yeah, so we've consolidated our first dose Pfizer vaccines to Downers Grove. And uh, we have supplies for this week, um, and we're waiting for alloca allocation for next week. So we're hoping. Any uh, any sign of Johnson & Johnson uh, at EE Health in the near future? Uh, yeah, not right now. We don't have any news on that. Interesting. I know I have a lot of people asking me about it, and uh, yeah. and I just say, well, I, you know, so far it's not it's not coming here. So uh, hope, right. hopefully soon, because I know, like you said, there are some folks that are are waiting for that, so they just get one oh, no. one shot, so to speak. By the way, the shot wasn't that bad. I didn't think. 
<laughs> no. To me, no different than a mosquito bite. <laughs> right. Well, it felt like somebody punched me a little bit, but not that bad. It oh, really, wow. <laughs> it really, really wasn't. So since we haven't had you on before, can you give us kind of a little history of your background, what led you uh, to medicine and your education and where your career path has taken you so far? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I am a NATO Chicagoan. So I'm from Chicago and um, I, uh, I went to undergrad in uh, Xavier University of Louisiana in uh, New Orleans. I uh, received my uh, bachelor's degree in chemistry. I actually became a chemist for like seven years. So I worked as a bench chemist and uh, worked in pharmaceutical industry for a while. Um, and got into a little clinical trials. Um, I then decided to pivot and go into medical school. And I went to, um, it's now called Rosalind Franklin, but when I was there, it was Chicago Medical School up in North Chicago. I know it. Uh, yeah, so I was. I went there and uh, once I graduated, I did a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at uh, St. Joseph Hospital, which is in Lincoln Park downtown in the north side. Um, and then from there, I actually uh, migrated to the West Suburbs. I was always a fan of the West Suburb, Suburban area. So I, um, I briefly started in, um, at uh, CDH, uh, but then I, my main career, uh, I've been here for 11 years now uh, here at Elmhurst Hospital. I started out in private practice uh, for a number of years, and then I took a position as uh, the medical director of obstetrics and gynecology here uh, in the hospital and became uh, like a um, like an OB hospitalist. So I did that and also as a medical director. So I've been uh, I was a medical director for a while. I had a lot of quality initiatives and projects, a lot of safety initiatives, um, and uh, was uh, really involved with a lot of um, our committees here on um, on campus. Uh, made a lot of uh, good collaborative uh, relationships with a lot of other departments. And um, Dr. Uh, Sullivan, Dr. Uh, uh, Daniel Sullivan uh, was the chief medical officer and he moved out of his position into a higher position as the chief physician executive of our hospital system. And I am now serving as the uh, chief medical officer here at, at uh, Elmhurst. And that's been since, since uh, January. So your background in chemistry and the pharmaceutical industry kind of gives you a a unique perspective, I would imagine, on all that's been going on here the last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's right up my alley. <laughs> I mean, I know, you know, physicians need to have a, a pretty good knowledge of chemistry anyway, but yours uh, yours not only was uh, learned in the classroom, but you actually got to apply it for quite a while, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a really good good time for me to learn learn science in a different way and apply it in, in, uh, in the industry. It was great. So what exactly does... For those of us that don't really understand the inner workings of a hospital, what is the responsibility of the chief medical officer? So um, I, what I do is I, I manage uh, the uh, ongoing functions of the medical staff. Um, I do development and leadership uh, projects. I deal with uh, regulatory compliance. I work with um, the CEO and uh, many of the other VPs on strategic planning and operations of the hospital. And uh, I'm pretty much the go-to doc. When there are doc issues and concerns, they come to me. <laughs> so do you, still, do you still practice at all or not? Yes. Yes, I do, actually. I actually uh, do uh, 
perform a little bit of OB laborist work. Um, so I, I do still, I, I always want to stay clinical. I really enjoy delivering babies and, and providing uh, quality care to patients. Um, I primarily work with patients that don't have doctors here, so they're um, unattached patients from the emergency room, and I feel that that's a special population of folks that uh, need special care. And so I love delivering that that uh, quality care to care for them. So one last question, and it's, it's kind of a goofy mm-hmm. question, but do doctors that deliver babies keep track of how many babies they've delivered? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we just say thousands. <laughs> thousands. Well, I'm sure uh, that's got to be quite a rewarding experience to it is. deliver it a is bunch great. of babies in your career. So, well, thank you yep. so much for spending time with us today. And uh, we got we got some insight into uh, how COVID might affect expectant mothers and some newborns and uh, very much appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.